Hey. Hey, you. Yeah, don't look behind you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they try to sneak huge fees in at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I'm going up to Dallas next month, meaning July, to try to check out some Rangers games. And you'd better believe I'm going to use SeatGeek. I used it for my trip in Detroit I told you guys about. Um, I've been recommending it to people left and right all across the country, to be honest. A couple friends in different spots been recommending it. My buddy is in New York, and he's going up to visit his family a little bit for the summer. And he and his dad are already mapping out where they, what they're going to go see uh, in terms of Mets games with SeatGeek. Honestly, it's the only place I use now. I used to use other places, I'll freely admit. The one that frequently gets mentioned here, StubHub. Stopped using it. It's not It's not necessary at this point because uh, SeatGeek's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Now, I remember when MLB.com first got this for their stadiums, and it was awesome. But I would, you know, be on the StubHub app or something, and then I'd have I buy the ticket or look at a section, then I go to the MLB site and have to kind of, you know, use their stadium view. Now it's all it's all in one with SeatGeek, and the grading is just color coding. So if you know a stoplight, green means go, red means halt. So if you see a red one in the section you want, maybe relax and try to find a green one because those are going to be the better price tickets uh, for their value. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you at the end with huge fees. Now, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to Settings, and click Add Promo Code. Enter the promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's really easy. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Sleeper in the bus. It is Wednesday, July 6th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how you doing, my man? What? Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> we, were reliv- we were reliving those wonderful uh, Lil' John call-outs moments ago, so why not open the show with them? We were like, remember, remember doing that? I did it all the time. So, uh, again, I wasn't throwing shade at at it when we were reminiscing i was like yeah i i used to do it all the time and and i'm trying to think of uh and then there was then there was the borat borat one where everyone would say like my wife all the time i still do that if someone says my wife i still at least Uh, say it in my head i'm trying to think of what today's version of that is something that i don't know uh we don't like people don't talk to each other anymore (laughs) that's true (laughs) today's version is like a meme or a yeah <laughs> just a picture of a meme crying jordan is today's yes what? crying jordan on everything <laughs> i still laugh though i again i i am easy crying jordan? yeah 
Uh, every once in a while. The right there, ones still make me laugh. It has to be way good now. I mean, because the bar has been raised. Did you see the one for Zach Hampel? The one of his little bathtub baseball thing? And all the baseballs in the bathtub were crying Jordans? <laughs> that was amazing. Like, <laughs> like that's... The, you're right. The bar has been raised, so you can't just do an easy one. You can't. You can't just do like uh, Steph Curry after the the game seven loss. Like that's yeah, that's yeah. not going to move the needle. You got to come up with something better than that. So yeah, it, it's it, it takes the it takes the really good ones to get me, but they will still get me. Uh, there's a lot of crying going on. Smooth transition here. In, Ooh, in segway sound. Oh, he fell off the segway. Um, because of what's happening to pitchers right now. We were talking about the doldrums last episode about how we're kind of in that in that period where we're kind of grinding through. We can see the light of the all-star break that we will probably relish a little bit to just take a breather. Uh, I think feel like maybe some pitchers are hitting that too, and, and a lot of them maybe have nagging injuries that might not be DL-worthy at a different point of the year, but, but went ahead and put them on the DL because of the break. Others needed the DL no matter what, but we, we've, seen, we've seen a rash of DL uh, placements for pitchers since the last time we had an episode with Big, big names. So we're just going to devote the whole episode to that, talking about these particular guys as well as some potential replacements. We've got uh, five different starters who went on. Again, most of them upper caliber and then another rookie on the rise. And then, of course, uh, Wade Davis, big closer, went on the disabled list as well. And then we can get into a handful of potential pickups that you might be able to bridge the gap with as you as you wait for these guys to come back. But, you know, let's start with the most devastating one, Clayton Kershaw not pitching right now he's on the disabled list it's uh it's it's the worst thing that's ever happened i think i'm not sure there's ever been anything worse that's ever happened than uh clayton kershaw going on the back uh, on the disabled list with a back injury this is the second time he's gone on with a back if i recall correctly right he's only had two two um dl stints and i think both have been back related i wonder if this is going to be something that that kind of impacts him down the road a little bit more frequently have a hip hip thing hip Uh, impingement I don't know. I'm looking at I'm looking at pro sports transactions, and I got a, a left shoulder strain. So. Back, back muscle inflammation slash strained left shoulder. That's fourteen. And then herniated disc this I year. Think all of his transactions. So, obviously, this, this is terrible. This is the tough part, of course. You know, uh, when whenever you lose your your first round pick, like a top pick type of guy, I don't think this is like. I would not use this as a this is why I don't draft a, a pitcher number one because Mike Trout could have just as easily gotten hurt. Um, Bryce Harper hasn't gotten hurt, but he's been in pretty much kind of a uh, not, not a tailspin, but he hasn't been his overwhelming self pretty much since that 50 walk series against the Cubs. So my point is that this would this, this should not be used as a deterrent. From, from drafting Kershaw in his rightful spot, which I believe is the number one player in the league. How do you how do you deal with this though? Like what what obviously you can't replace it, but is is it a game is it a game ender? Like if if you're trying to run up the standings at somebody, you're you're in third or fourth, is, is this uh does this change your mind about your outlook on the season if you're in a keeper league or or do you just try to push through by maybe streaming the spot and, and waiting until he gets back. How do you deal with a Clayton Kershaw injury, you know, besides crying in the fetal position, which is acceptable, <laughs> but not going to help your team. 
Uh, I don't know. You know, there's. I think there's good signs early on. He said he's already he had an, uh, progressing, right? Yeah, he had an epidural, and um, there was for some reason there was no pain going down his leg, which is a good sign. He said so. That's what he told uh, Mike Giovanna of the Los Angeles Times. So, and he said he was going to pitch. He was going to pitch on Sunday. Wait, he's pitching already this Sunday? Clayton Kershaw is? Like throw. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I heard so, he was playing playing catch with some with, with some good signs here. The Rotowire um, outlook has early August as a potential return. Looks like he's going he's he's tracking to to beat that, which is not a surprise it seems and, and Clayton Kershaw is even better at being on the DL than most most other people, so uh, that's encouraging. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you it won't be too long. I mean, it is something like as you know, back problems go forever, mm-hmm. and it's not good for his long term health, and it's going to come back again. Definitely. Uh, and there's you know his first surgery may be back surgery, which would be terrible. And back surgery, from what I gather, is is sort of a last resort thing that's not always very helpful. Well, and, I still haven't gotten it. Huh? That's why I still That's haven't why. gotten it because right. even even for a non-athlete, it's right. not a great idea. Yeah, uh, I had a friend who had a, a herniated disc, and he decided not to have one either. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, just something he's going to deal with. I would say that um, I would. I, you know what? I'd probably just play the matchups because you're not going to get Kershaw level talent in there. But if you if you and and it's not something where you're streaming because streaming implies every day. Mm-hmm. I think it's more like look at the look at the wire, look at the five best players, and then look at their next starts, and say, oh look, you know Gerard Eikhoff has Atlanta, you know I'm gonna pick him up. Oh look, Eikhoff goes to Coors next. Well, I'll drop him now. And I'll go find whoever has Atlanta. <laughs> exactly. You just kind of figure out, chase down Atlanta, Philly, and San Diego, and just yeah. and just see what's going on. By the way, um, we're cutting Kershaw in all leagues, right? Yeah. Maybe keeping him in NL only. Drop it like it's hot. Yeah, I think just just kind of move on because, like we said, this back thing's going to be a problem. No. If you don't know that I'm kidding, please turn off the podcast and unsubscribe. <laughs> and then, and who's next? We got a whole line. Yeah, of- let's let's get into the ones that are, that are a little bit. Obviously, there's not much you can do with Kershaw. Uh, obviously, you're just waiting for him to get back. In terms of replacing him, I agree with you. Maybe chase down some of those terrible teams, and 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 play those matchups. Zach Granke was was really getting back on track, and um, looking like the guy that you know they paid. 80 billion dollars to and and you know they're still terrible that the diamondbacks are but he had been a lot less terrible for for a good stretch here and now he's on the disabled list uh let's see what was it a, a, a oblique for him no ribs yes i guess it's basically same kind of deal right um yeah left oblique strain retroactive to june 29th this hey, is unfortunate this is a, what's that yeah, this is another first man uh, he, he's been on the DL twice, but both times he was on the DL before was basically non-baseball activities. That's and right. He hurt himself playing basketball in 2011. And then Carlos Quinton was and a then, yeah, clown. Playing football with Carlos Quinton. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> he tried to run that that, that sweet play, and uh, the defensive end Carlos Quinton was right there, man. He read the play perfectly. You don't come over the middle against Carlos Quinton. <laughs> He's a linebacker that can play like a defensive back, John. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he got he got. I I meant to say Mike because I was trying to be John Gruden there, so I, I messed it up. But but either way, um, yeah. Again, another bummer here because. You weren't getting the ace quality all year, but but you really were kind of kind of getting it over the last month plus. If if you kind of go back to May seventeenth and look at his last nine starts, Grinky had a two twenty six ERA in in about sixty innings of work. He he was seven and zero there as well. So even though the team hadn't been good, you were getting the W's from him. And the fact that he was seven and zero kind of made up for the fact that the strikeouts really weren't uh, all that eye popping with forty seven in the fifty nine and two thirds innings. What 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 is the case? What what are you looking at to replace him, uh, Grinky, while he's out? And how long do you think he'll be out? He is a little bit tougher because obliques. Um, I mean, I guess they're both they're both really foundational things where that can linger too because yeah, obliques have been known to kind of stick around. I I you remember the look, the Doug Fister one. Yeah, and remember what, just what happened to Boxberger. I mean, uh, absolutely five seconds after he came back. But this one, at least, you know, I, I, I take my cue a little bit from the way it happened and what happened. He didn't, like, tweak something, call for the trainer, and walk off. In fact, he tried to pitch. And you could actually, he actually threw, like, four or five more practice pitches before, before you know, pointing to it and walking off. I think it's a little bit related to the All-Star break. Because in his comments after the game, he said, you know, we've got this rest here, and, you know, hopefully I'll be back, you know, soon after the All-Star break. And, you know, when they asked Kershaw about his timetable, he said, no, I, I won't talk about it now. Granky, they asked him, and he said, well, they asked him, well, what, what exactly did the MRI show? And he, I love him to death. He was like, well, I'm not familiar with the terminology, so you'll have to ask someone else. <laughs> Uh, but also, I, I just don't, I don't see that as very evasive. And the fact that he speculated that he'd be back soon after the All-Star break uh, suggests to me that, and his history of being very healthy, I think, uh, also his history of being a, 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 a um, position player. I think all these things factor into the fact that I believe that uh, Zach Granke won't miss much time. So um, Yeah, that, he was I, definitely I, I one of the ones... I, I, I was talking about with regards to okay maybe the maybe the All Star break played a little bit of a role here, kind of easy to give him some extra time without having him miss necessarily extra starts there by kind of playing it out until the until the All Star break. So I give don't give them an extra pitcher too, you know. So what's that? Give the team an extra pitcher. So exactly, not... exactly. So uh, Zach Godley actually they they're, they're sticking with Zach's. They had to look. They had to scour. They're like, you know what? We can't replace him with anybody. But second Zach. baseman, that's second. We got to get a Zach G, and uh, that's the Zach only is... way that we're going to replace him. <laughs> so, um, I mean, you could you could look. Hyunjin Ru is uh, pitching against the dot uh, the Padres tomorrow. Oh, he's going he to be back be. tomorrow. Finally, I've been waiting. Yeah, he might be on wires, and you know his his the results in his rehab weren't great. But... I don't get too hung up on on the rehab results though, because they can be like spring training, especially for a guy who's just starting a season. Uh, yeah. you, you you don't know if he could just be working on stuff and and a little bit desperate by the pot by the Dodgers to just throw him back in there. It's not like well, they are yeah, though, right? Because they they can't yeah. keep anybody healthy. 
Yeah, which is like, well, you're not going to keep everybody healthy by just throwing them back in. But um, and then Drew Hutchison is got to start uh, against Detroit, but it's at home. Uh, that's for I guess for your deeper leagues. We've never really talked about him. No, never. We, we don't. Know, I don't know anything about that guy. <laughs> we've got a handful of other guys uh, that will deep. Yeah, we've got more comment. But this is just looking at uh, tomorrow. I guess the, the Hutchison matchup isn't good, but the Ryu one is good. And the nice thing about the Ryu matchup is it's against the Padres, and if he if he pitches well, he's actually, you know, probably not. I'm not saying keeper level, but like guy you'd keep on your roster. He's not. Like, he's no longer streamable, right? Yeah. You, you, right. You, you, you get you, Ryu, like, and if he's healthy, he's yeah, a he's an all formats guy. If he throws 89-90 tomorrow, um, yeah, I'm, I've been picking him up because he has he has the pitches he needs, and he's particularly has the opponents he needs and the parks he needs. So. You know, he'll definitely be a guy you can have on your bench and start 75% of the time. And then you can use Granky to, to pick this guy up and then either try some two-for-ones over the break uh, to open up spot for Granky or um, or drop a different pitcher. So, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a, a lot of times I look at this as an opportunity. You weren't going to get through the season anyway without being scathed. And so, uh, you know, use it as an opportunity Hopefully your DL isn't all filled up, which is definitely a possibility. But if it's not all filled up, then you say, hey, I get to go shopping. I love shopping on the waiver wire. It's like my favorite thing in the world. By the way, you mentioned a good point there about uh, filled DL spots. I think we're at a point with the way that injuries are managed that I think all leagues need to consider changing DL spots. I, I'm in a lot of leagues, as you guys know, and, and a lot of them are ill-equipped to deal with kind of today's climate for, for DLs. I'm not saying you have to do unlimited, but you, you got to have the ability to not have to cut all these guys that get hurt. Cause at, at some point, you know, we've, we see these stories on Twitter, people send us their rosters and stuff. You see some pretty horrific situations where guys have five, six, seven of these star level players that are DL'd, you can get two DL spots in the Yahoo League. They usually have three or four reserve spots. So at some point, you're like, well, I got to cut these guys. And you don't want to be in a position where you have to cut. Obviously, you wouldn't cut Grinky and, and Kershaw. But then these next guys that we talk about, you might, like Jordan Zimmerman on the disabled list. We're going to get to Joe Ross here in a second. Let's actually move on to Zimmerman. You don't want to be in a situation where you're forcing somebody to cut those types of guys Again, I don't think the answer is unlimited, but if it's at two, I think you should probably double it. If you're at, uh, if you're in the three to five range, that's that's probably right. Um, I think in in only leagues, you should do even more though. Maybe even look at unlimited because talent is so scarce in AL NL only leagues, especially if you go 12 teams with them. That it's just not it's just not right. It just adds too much luck to it when you're already dealing with a lot of luck with that kind of league. If you're gonna have limited DL spots that force people to cut useful guys just to have somebody breathing on their roster, um, how do you feel about that? You know, would you play in any unlimited DL leagues or any that are too tight? I mostly have limited DLs. I mean, I have I think probably two uh, spots is about my average. And, um, uh, so then I am, I am hitting up on it. Like Lucas Duda has been a difficult decision for me to make. He's in an OBP league. So it's not just a batting average league or he'd be gone by now. Mm -hmm. And it's 15 teams. So I'm kind of like, you know, 
oh god, he would be an asset. I need to hold on to him. Absolutely. But it's like a five man bench with two DL slots, and I've had you know other guys on DL slots. It's been difficult. So um, you know, Lucas Duda is a hard one. Joe Ross. Someone uh, came to me with the Joe Ross question, and and I said. I said, yeah, I think you can drop it. And it was mostly because when he listed the guys who were available, I was into I was into them. And, you know, there were guys like Adam Conley and um man, who else was on that list? But it was enough guys where I said, you know, in the right park, in the right situation, I think those guys were about the same as Joe Ross anyway. Sure. So if that's the kind of situation you're looking at, you know, Zimmerman's pretty good but if you're in like a 10 or 12 team league and you're looking at the wire and some of these names that we're about to get to are on the wire some of those guys especially in the right situation are going to be Zimmerman's equal that's the thing so, and you know Zimmerman got off to that amazing start he had a, he had a .55 ERA in April he only allowed two earned runs four runs total you know carry it, it was sub three coming into into June and then he kind of started to kind of come back to the pack. I don't know if it was just kind of simple regression or the fact that this this groin strain, this, this minor groin strain that he had, if that kind of caused an issue and maybe had some cascading effect that actually led to the neck injury that, that eventually put him on the disabled list. Because he's been struggling now for a while. He really only had one good start in um, – in June, and it was an eight-inning, one-run outing at KC. But other than that, it was rough. Even even keeping that start in there, he had six starts, six forty-three ERA in thirty-five innings for Zimmerman in June. So he he'd already been kind of uh, on on the uh, on the border there in terms of guys that a guy that you would keep around, even though he's a big name on a on a quality team in a ten or twelve team league. Yeah, you you are kind of. Well, I guess I, I outside of the name, I could probably find someone better. So, I mean, with, I like him. I like him a little bit better than his projections because he's definitely a command artist, and I think command guys are going to start getting some love with the exit velocity stuff when we start looking into that. Mm-hmm. Because the, you know, uh, Rob Arthur wrote a piece on five thirty eight that was really great about what are the skills that lead to exit velocity. I think he had a piece on five thirty eight and a piece on the Athletic, and the skills that lead to it are precise horizontal uh, command. Precise uh, vertical command, uh, low fastball velocity because you know that does actually contribute a little bit to exit velocity, and um, getting to two strike counts. And I know that Jordan Zimmerman and Johnny Cueto are like the best in baseball at getting to two strike counts. So that's uh, that's something that is in his favor. However, he doesn't when he gets the two strikes, he goes for the weak contact instead the of the strikeout. Yeah. And and this year it's it's. Um, the worst it's ever been. I mean, he's he's basically been average or less than average in strikeout rate in the past. And now and, he's at five and a half, five point yeah. six to be exact per night. Yeah, fifteen percent. It's just not. It's that's way below average. And in fact, it's gone to the point where now his K minus BB percentage is below average. He used to have such a low walk rate that he was managed to be above average despite having the below average strikeout rate. But right now. This K minus BB is his strikeouts minus walks is about ten percent and average is twelve percent. So he's not even really getting enough strikeouts for that. So you know, I listened to the Mets announcers just have a whole discussion about uh, about Justin Nicolino and FIP and all this stuff, and it was mostly painful to listen to. <laughs> but um, Justin Nicolino uh, and his sweet sweet strikeout rate. 
Yeah, but they did they did at least get right that a four strikeout four per nine strikeout rate is bad. And I think that's you know, that's that's what uh Zimmerman's dealing with is just a ton of balls in play. It's not bad luck on balls in play because he's three hundred Babbitt like always. Uh it's just too many balls in play because you know, three thirty percent chance that, that thing's a hit, you know, if you get a strikeout it's a point one percent chance that they get on base. So Yeah. You know, yeah. I just it, you can probably do better. And I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to do his projections, which are four ERA, one, two, four whip, just basically his, like his year, year repeat. Yeah. He could do a little better than that. But a little better than that is probably a lot like last year, where it was a three, six, seven ERA and a one, two, oh whip, which is sitting a lot of, on a lot of your wires. It really is. And if it wasn't for the name, you know, Jordan Zimmerman, you, you, you probably wouldn't bat an eye at it. So I, I do get that aspect Joe of actually. Yeah, Joe Ross is actually like not too far from that because even though he has a lot more swing swinging strikes, and you know has that deadly slider and the the stuff looks nothing like Zimmerman's because he's got more velocity and stuff. Um, you know the the results are actually not too far from Zimmerman and that you know his strikeout minus walk rate is right around average, and um, you know he's he's not projected to do much better, and he's actually projected about that same three eight one two five type whip going mm-hmm. forward. So with better strikeouts, you know, uh, on on also a good team, so uh, the wins the win opportunities should be pretty solid. And the upside is there too, I think, with Ross, which probably puts him, you know, would you put him ahead of Zimmerman because of that? Because a twenty three year old Ross, you know, is still kind of on the ascent. And Zimmerman has plateaued, or do you just see them as equal, even accounting for Ross's upside right now? Well, it's interesting. The injuries aren't necessarily equal because the next strain for uh, Zimmerman. I almost called him. I almost called him Doug Fister. <laughs> well, he's uh, he's yeah. pitching Fister esque. Right. Uh, the next strain for Jordan Zimmerman, I think, is a lesser problem than shoulder inflammation for Joe Ross. Absolutely. So. And, and that might negate some of that upside and bring them back to equal. That's a great point. Yeah. So either way, I think that more they, they, these guys are more droppable than, than people suspect. Absolutely. You take away the name. And you're talking 10 and 12 team mixer. They're more droppable than you think, um, especially if you are running into those DL issues. Uh, where where you've already got a couple studs, maybe you got one of the other studs that we just talked about, Kershaw, Grinky, and a big hitter. You got Brant. What if you had like Brantley and Kershaw? You only have two DL spots. Would you flip Brantley off to the wire for a Zimmerman or Ross, or would you would you just cut the Zimmerman or Ross? Yeah, I'd cut one of the pitchers. Okay, uh, Brantley's starting to play again. So you're starting to play again. Don't ever dispute what I'm. No, I'm just kidding. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I thought. I actually thought he. I thought he had a worse outlook than that. I didn't know that he was finally getting back on track. Well, he's starting to do like baseball activities. Good. Let's let's hope that he can come back. I, 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 I mean, not that they need him. Jeez, they're dominating. But he's a bat too. That well, that's that's why I was asking because you know a, a bat with maybe. Uh, um, not so great outlook or Zimmerman who's a pitcher, but maybe has a better outlook. Like you said, with that next strain and you're still taking Brantley, I can accept that. And you, and you know, that, that numbers oriented analytics based team in Cleveland would uh, gladly thank Tyler Naquin for services rendered. Oh yeah. And put him back in a, in a reserve role. Despite, 
yeah, especially with it being power based. They're like, yeah. don't know where you got that from. Oh, I, we saw you rooting around in Marlon Bird and Abraham Almonte's lockers. <laughs> but uh, thanks for those seven bombs. You're back to our fourth outfielder, which is which is good. You and you and Tyler or you and Lonnie Chisenhall can fight for playing time, even though they're both lefties, uh, and yeah. they'll take it from there. Yeah, they they will. They can't wait to get Brantley back. The fact that they've been so good without Brantley is huge. By the way, since we are kind of on a little detour here about Cleveland, I saw this floated out on Twitter. I can't remember who it was from or I would give credit. Not my original idea. What do you think of like a Jonathan Lucroy to Cleveland considering how god awful Jan Gomes has been? Mm. Let me well, just I, let me no. just tell you before you answer that Jan Gomes's OPS plus is only 37 points better than yours. Oh. Well, you're assuming mine would be 0. It's zero right now. Oh, well, okay, I see. Yeah, good point. I mean, My true talent is probably around minus 200. Yeah, I think mine is like minus 7,000. <laughs> so, uh, I, I broke, I I broke just, the OPS I like plus meter. A lot too because Danny Salazar has been struggling a little bit. I have him as adding more exit velocity than almost anyone. I think, yeah, he's like second worst uh, or third worst behind Jason Hamill and Ian Kennedy. Here comes second half Jason Hamill. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. I don't, and, and I don't mean to, you know, buy into like things that don't make sense, like seasonal sports. Like, like, yeah, I, I know. Except, I, except he's like an injury. He's an he's an injury walking. That, that's but, the thing. It, it, it's not because the calendar says it. It's a stamina thing. It's a durability yeah. situation with yeah. with him in particular. Uh, it, it's tougher to make the case when somebody kind of clicks in the second half all the time. You know, uh-huh. you know what what's with the slow start. But when someone fades in the second half. Uh, and it's a pitcher, it, it's not they tough to kind of see. Innings and, yeah. what, what's that? What was that last part? They never had 200 innings. Yeah, it, it, it's not tough. And I'm a, I'm a Jason Hamill backer, but it, this is clockwork. There's usually some sort of nagging injury that gets him, and then things kind of just start to fall off the rails. So, yeah, if you haven't moved him already, obviously now's a bad time because he really has had a, a couple rotten outings, but uh, including, what was it, 10 earned at New York the other day? I think I think it's about that time because oh, it's just so brutal. Uh, I really like him. He can be a really good pitcher, but it seems to be that once June, uh, once July comes, he should probably be moved into the bullpen as like a two or three inning guy because it just falls apart. It's so 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 frustrating. Uh, we got one more starter to talk about on the DL. Jamison Tyon, rookie uh, for the Pirates, had been pitching pretty well. He had a couple a uh, couple of tough tough ones there, four innings, four runs in both of them. I think. So far, so good, I would say, overall, when you kind of look at the five starts as a whole. He's shown flashes. He's been up. He's been down. I kind of like that better, though. I, I've said that before in the past where I like that they can show um, you know, the magnitude as opposed to just kind of being consistently six innings, three runs, five innings, three runs sort of guy. I like that we've seen eight shutout. We've seen six innings, one run. Both of those were on the road, by the way. Cubs and Dodgers both got them for four innings, four runs. Jameson Tyon, I think it was, what, shoulder fatigue. Did I see something that somebody was suggesting that maybe this was uh, some service time manipulation? I don't know if that's the case, but I, I feel like the uh, the all-star break definitely helps here because it is shoulder fatigue. And it's, yeah, I, I, I sort of look a little bit at that, askance at that. But okay. It's not necessarily as much service time. Maybe it is service time. I, 
I don't know. I actually don't know how to be a cynic, have how cynical to be about that. Yeah, me neither. I know that they do do something like that, but we've always we've talked often about you know with with closers and stuff. But I think also there's like a legitimate in, in innings management question, and you could send him to the minor league, minor leagues, but you can't keep him on the major leagues and not pitch him, right? Exactly. And he he had uh, in 2013 the last time he pitched at all. He had 147 innings, and right now he's at, you know, coming up on 90. So if you do think you're going to play competitive baseball late and you do want him, uh, you could save those 50 innings for, you know, the last month and a half, right, or, or the last two months instead of burning them now. And um, the other thing uh, is about Glass now is he's been oft injured. So About Tyon. We're going to get to Glass. Tyon, about Tyon. It could be a legit – it could be a legit fatigue. I mean, he's – He's uh, he hasn't pitched in two years, and and I did talk to him just recently when he was in town, and I asked him about those injuries, and I think it was just bad timing. It's hard to tell, you know, a guy will, especially when it comes to health, a guy will tell you that he feels good, and then they go on the DL the next day. That's definitely happened to me, <laughs> and so uh, you know, it's hard to know how much to buy in. But he the way he the way he told the story was, I had. TJ surgery, I got back on the mound and was ready to go for 2015, and then I had hernia yeah, surgery. Herniated, yep. Yeah, and it's like, and I said, well, you know, did you do something different? We were lifting too hard when you were out, you know, because a hernia is like, it's really gross. It's like your insides like poke through your it's pelvic lining. Such a like, gross don't injury. Think it. <laughs> don't think about it. It's really, it's like falling apart on the inside, but. Um, uh, he said that uh, he didn't know why it was, but it probably was something that sort of happened over time. And if you think about, like, Granky's oblique and stuff, if you think about the the core rotation and the, the stress that you you put on your body just turning, uh, you know, hernias and oblique injuries have been coming for hitters for years. And I think um, I think it's that we're going to see them a lot more for pitchers now too, because we've learned that the best way to get exit velocity, the best way to, best way to get pitch velocity is trunk rotation. Mm-hmm. So everyone's trying to push their trunk rotation as far as it can go. And that means more hernias and more, um, and more oblique tears and more oblique problems. So I, I, uh, I sort of shrug at the injury piece. I think I'm not too worried about it in that, I was worried about it anyway. Like, you know, he was a guy that you had to worry about a little bit. Yeah, for Tyon, it doesn't really change. We, we we probably could have expected a DL stint, right, at some yeah, point. Exactly. I think you had to after two years off. I mean, that's this is a lot of time. And then, uh, you know, the thing that did impress me, the thing I liked coming out of it, was that he's just a baby, man. In terms of uh, fastball mix, he didn't have a two-seam until, like, he didn't believe in his two-seam until this year in the major leagues. So in the minor leagues, he said he was like four four seamers to every one two seams. Okay. Because the Pittsburgh Pirates in particular were all about fastball command. Absolutely. And they teach four seam, four seam, four seam in the lower minors, get that command down, get that command down. And then as you progress, they start bringing in the two seam. So he got to the major leagues and it wasn't, you know, called strikes weren't as important anymore because these guys were swinging. You know, he, major leaguers were swinging. Mm-hmm. So he he said he needed to be able to have something that moved more. And so he's gone to he's gone to one to one, four seam, two seam, and he even admitted to me that it's more recently become this po- thing where the two seam is his horse 
and the four seam is the thing that he surprises with them with and spots in certain situations. So he's going to fit think, well with with them with, with the Pirates then because that, like you said, that's kind of their mo. They they really like a guy who can lean on the fastball and command both the four and two seamers. Yeah, and I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna push that walk. I think he's gonna push that ground ball rate up. I think he's gonna be like a fifty five percent thing because that two seam is really good actually, and I think he's gonna be a fifty five percent ground ball guy. And maybe he settles in at like seven strikeouts per nine, but in that park with that defense behind him, with that ground ball rate, yeah, he's going to be really good. I think um, you know health is always a question, and the changeup is a question too. But uh, the curve is is solid, 80, 80 mile an hour curve, real nice movement. He can command Hammer it. Curve. Yeah, he can command it too. So he's going to start throwing those for some called strikes. I think. Uh, throwing that in the zone from our conversation, it seemed like something that might be coming some more for him. If they stop swinging at the curves, start throwing it for strikes. And uh, so, you know, he's a very smart guy, and uh, he's made some adjustments, and if the health sticks with him, I think he's going to be very good. I think the Zips' uh, projection of a 4.6 ERA and a 1.45 whip is way off. Yeah, I, I, I would agree there. Steamer... Is very is is completely on the other side there three three one one eighteen and then depth charts right in between them three ninety eight one thirty one. Yeah, because depth charts is actually you know I think yeah I think it is a, it's a blend of the two. So. Okay, yeah, I would probably even go a little bit better than depth charts, but that's I I can get behind that one. Um, I'd love to see Steamer play out, and it wouldn't surprise me if it did. But in this first year for Jamison Tyon. I, I think we'll still see kind of the ups and downs. We'll see the great outings where he goes eight, eight strong, but then we'll have the others where he goes, you know, three, four innings, and, it, and it's just not quite his day. I'm not sure that they'll let him get blasted for seven, eight earned runs, but, uh, you know, four innings, four runs, n- never really a good outing. Uh, you briefly mentioned Tyler Glass now inadvertently, but th- that is kind of the, the silver lining here is that he's finally called up. We've been waiting for that, that one for a while. Uh, Tyon himself was was called up over him. Chad Cole was called up over him. Is that how you, is that how you say it? K-U-H-L? Is that Cole? I don't know why I'm asking you for pronunciations. That's a yeah. dumb I mean, name. I'm German, and it looks like a German name, and I would say cool. But... Cool. No, you are right. See? I, I knew better than uh, – I, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't have made fun of you. I was going to trust you, and then I made fun of you. Yeah. Or at least Germanic. Yeah, B, B ref, B refs on it. They they got cool. So Chad Cool was all that was the bigger surprise. Like Tyon, no, I, I wasn't too surprised that he was called up. I had a glass now, but when Chad Cool was, it was like, oh really? That's interesting. Uh, but now Tyler Glass now is coming up. The the six seven righty, big time prospect. Actually six eight, real really big dude. Been having uh, strong results in the, in the minors. One seventy eight. Uh, ERA at Triple A this year, but a 114 whip because he walks a lot of guys. It's the the hits. He's really tough to square up and, and hit consistently, only allowing 5.3 hits per nine, but about five walks per game, um, balanced out by his his 10 and a half strikeouts. So we've kind of seen it seen it all here this year from the 22 year old. What sort of expectations do you have for Tyler Glass now? Let's just assume that he comes up and gets 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 a a, a decent enough audition to see something. What, what do you expect? I mean, look at Blake Snell. I think Blake Snell has a, had a similar resume coming up and has had difficulties. And uh, I think that uh, when you have like a statistical flaw, and it's, it, you know, it's not something where I think at this point, oh, he's just working on his change. I doubt that's true anymore because. You know, that's why his walk rate is up. And when he comes up, well, if that's true, then he won't throw his change when he comes up. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a two-pitch pitcher, and you know that won't be good either. So, uh, and when you look in the game log, there's not a lot of hope in that. Uh, yeah, the last start, he had eight strikeouts against one walk, but the one before that was five strikeouts against four walks. The one before that's eight against five. And then he had a six strikeout, six walk, six inning performance the other day. Yeah, no hits, but six walks. And then you and then you add in that it's going to be major league competition, and they're just yeah. going to make him prove it. There's, throw yeah. something in the zone, chief, or else we're just you know you're just not gonna you're not gonna get us with it. So I don't have high expectations for Glass now this year in particular. I think he's going to be one of those that maybe takes a little while. He's only 22 years old. I could honestly see him kind of laboring a little bit until he's 24, 25, you know, so it's going to be a couple years, might even have this sort of prospect fatigue thing where it's like, oh, glass now sucks. You know how much the fantasy community overreacts to to guys if they don't come up and and beast right away. So I think glass now is going to be one of those guys. And if you don't have patience, then you're better off trading him right now while his stock is high, because I think it's, I think it's, I think the stock's only going to go down. Uh, for the next couple of years before we really see if he can if he can be the real deal or not. So that's just kind of my feeling on him. Um, not n- pessimistic early on, but I still have uh, I, I see the talent. I understand where it can go, but right now I'm just I'm just not that high on Tyler Glass now. Yeah, I mean I I think the stuff will be fun to watch. More and... like Tyler Glass later. I should have said that earlier. And and you know just going off of that Tyler conversation if. if if batters in the minor leagues are swinging more, then maybe he can, he can coax, coax those swings faster and and um, and get a strikeout or a ball in play before he gets that walk. But mm-hmm. there are there have been guys that have you know b- bigger walk rates in the minors and come up and, and are fine. So it's not the the, the thing isn't written. But what, what we're talking about is sort of aiming for the meat of what happens. And the meat of what happens is that fifty percent of top prospects pitcher pitcher prospects fail. And the of the remaining 50%, there's probably another 50% that fail the first two times they try. Um, you know, meaning that in terms of what's what you know what you're talking about is probably like one in five top pitching prospects comes up and is good from the get go. You know, I'm just spitballing. Sure. And uh, that's not great odds. That does that means that you have to spend you know twenty dollars FAB five times to get one guy. So I, I would say don't spend the twenty dollars on that and spend on our list of guys that we're yeah, about let's, to. Let's, do. let's jump into some of these starters. I really well, likes the names in the list you put together. Uh, br- briefly, though, we will mention Wade Davis went to the disabled list. Um, Kelvin Herrera is the obvious replacement, and this is a forearm strain for Wade Davis, so it could be bad. And Kelvin Herrera, if if this if this ends up being a bad situation, could pretty much do exactly what Wade Davis did when Greg Holland went out. I could see Kelvin Herrera coming out, uh, you know, emerging and becoming a top five kind of closer oh, yeah. right he's, out of the gate. He's got the stuff. I yeah. mean, he's he's uh, he had a little blip in 2014 where for some reason, even with all the swing strikes, he he didn't get a lot of strikeouts. But that was also his best year for ground ball. So maybe he's just looking for weak contact or pitching down zone or something. But this is the kind of stuff that we expected out of Herrera with the 11 to one strikeout to walk ratio, 98 mile an hour fastball, which means you, you've got to get aggressive to get on top of that. And then that 90 mile an hour change, he's like an AJ Ramos, you know, squared or tripled. Yeah. With, with the ability to actually command regularly, uh, at least this year, Uh, he had a walk with walk issues 
not even walk issues like three and a half is, is not the end of the world, but like a, a worse than average walk rate in the past for Calvin Herrera. But this year he's at 5%. That's nasty with a 33% strikeout rate. So just wanted to briefly mention him. He's the obvious replacement. I would replacement. say that people should be aggressive, I think, because I would be super aggressive, to be honest. Especially, especially someone was asking me, I have Wade Davis, you know, what should I do? And I was like, get out there and 25, 26%. Because Absolutely. You're, if you have Wade Davis, you're you're not only getting this new guy, but you are also protecting your investment in Wade Davis. So. Yeah, in case he comes back, and then it is something more serious. You know, if I got Wade Davis, I'm going even higher. I'm going, I'm going forty. Like I'm, I'm getting him. I'm doing what it because takes. That makes, you you make sure that you have a close the rest of the season. It's either Herrera or Davis. It's, it's that's really important. If you're if you're speculating, there is the chance that you know he's gone for a month and he's back, but then that's still a month worth of saves. So. I think even if you don't have Wade Davis on your team, you know, 16% is the price of entry at least. And we're probably talking 21, 22% to, to, to get really in the finalists. And you may have to push beyond that if you want to make sure you get him. So. Yeah, absolutely. His numbers, Kelvin Herrera's numbers are not going to be lost than anybody. This is, yeah, this is no Brandon Kinsler situation <laughs> where, you know, maybe he'll do it. He has an okay sinker. You know, this is like, this is a closer. And he's been a closer for three years. Yeah, he, he, he's been he's got some legit uh, skills, does Kelvin Herrera. Now let's talk about some of these potential replacements for these starting pitchers that are down. Got a really interesting group here, as you mentioned. Uh, let's start with Junior Guerra. I looked at guys who are 50% or lower owned at Yahoo, but the first one out, I'm a huge liar. I fudged it a little bit because Junior Guerra is actually at 51%. But I'm really interested in your thoughts on him. Um, if you woke up... I don't want to say early, but if you turn on your TV a little bit early, you, you might have been like, whoa, what is this uh, uh, 10 o'clock baseball here in the Central, um, 11 out east for the July 4th holiday there? It was Max Scherzer versus Junior Guerra, and Junior Guerra was every bit up to the challenge of facing Max Scherzer and pitched really well. I believe we talked about Guerra uh, a while back when he's first kind of making a mark, and he hasn't really fallen off at all i mean he's been really impressive he works with a, a 93 94 mile per hour fastball that can get mid 90s when he needs it he's got that great splitter that really sets him apart and, and, and kind of drives his solid strikeout rate it's not over the top when he first got going he was going k per inning it's balanced it's you know balanced back a little bit to 67 strikeouts in 77 innings but that still totally works and you know i'm not sure that i believe he's a sub three era guy but i certainly believe certainly believe that he's kind of a uh, low to mid threes guys so maybe that 330 era with a solid whip and again enough strikeouts to where you're 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 comfortable using him in just about all formats how do you feel about junior Guerra? i like him a lot i like him a lot and i also you know this fastball is a little bit straight but i think it's so straight that it's almost like a cut situation i think that you know it, it basically is like six inches different from a regular fastball and I think that's so far, you know, different that it's actually, you know, giving people a little bit of a, a hard time with it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you expect to see some tail even from a four-seamer, and his doesn't really tail. So you're talking about basically a cut fastball uh, that goes, you know, 93, 94, and he keeps his velocity late into the games. The slider is legit. It's a little bit slow at 83, 82, 83. Uh, there might be some curves in there that we're missing. I think but... I think there are. Um, you know, and we talk about pitch classification a lot because 
I think the overarching point is to not get too hung up on them. But I agree. Sitting down to watch them for that particular start, and I've watched a couple others in the past, there are some curve-esque sliders that are that are in there. And, and he doesn't have any classified curves um, on our pitch types, but that doesn't mean that he's not maybe mixing in a couple there. Especially if you talk to a pitcher, sometimes they'll say, oh, yeah, I throw slider and curve. And then you'll go to fan graphs and you'll see maybe 1% curve or, no, or nothing for it. And you're like, hmm, that's interesting. So I, I agree yeah, with you there. Yeah, or it's like a power curve slurve thing, thing because it has a minus two uh, pitch FX number for, for vertical. Okay. Uh, sliders are usually around two or three. Like, so that's four. Like, basically, yeah, it has four more inches of drop than a regular slider. And yeah, that's still three inches short of an average curve. But I mean, that's textbook slurve. So um, it's an interesting pitch. It's an interesting pitch. It's a, it's a tight 83 mile an hour curve, is how I'd probably describe it. In any case, uh, we don't know exactly what's going on under the hood, but if you lump them all together, all his breaking balls, he gets average whiffs on that, which is important because his split finger is great, and he needed he needs to have that third thing to sort of, uh, you know, not end up like Jake Odorizzi. So, you know, here's a guy, if you like Jake Odorizzi at all, you should like Javier Guerra or Junior Guerra because Guerra has that split finger, uh, has more velocity, and his breaking ball is better than than Odorizzi's so I, I don't really I, I guess you know we've talked a little bit about injury uh and I mean in, innings pitch stuff but when you're talking about a 31 year old that used to be a catcher I think you just go yeah he's out of the injury go. nexus you know from, from an age standpoint and I just don't know that they're really going to be cautious with him my question is is there any chance that they trade him I know they've got a, lot, a bunch of control on him obviously because he is a, a 31 year old rookie but you know, is he going to be part of their next great team? Is there any uh, thought to you that you have that that you have that they might just go ahead and deal him, see what they can get? I know they wouldn't get a a, a haul for a 31 year old. But he's pitching really well. The pitching market is thin. Could Junior Guerra get dealt? Like realistically, get dealt? I don't think so. This is the same thing where I was talking about it with somebody online about Adam Duvall. You know, there are these. Uh, Role players that are a little bit older than you'd expect. Duvall is 28. Mm-hmm. And they're a little bit worse than some of their numbers indicate in that, uh, you know, Guerra's 31, so he's on the wrong side of the... There's not much projectability left. This Absolutely. Is who and uh, with Adam Duvall, the walk-to-strikeout ratio is pretty horrible. But in Duvall's case, I think there's actually... You know, he walked a lot more in the minors, so I think there's some upside in the walks. And in Guerra's case, he's a baby when it comes to pitching. He's only really been pitching. Um, I mean, there's some numbers here for 2008 with the Mets, but that was a long time ago. And uh, in terms of you know what he's done since, there's a big gap when he went to Mexico, and now he's back at you know only been pitching since 2015, really. So yeah, he he didn't. Well, uh, I would say he he was in the independent league in 2013 and threw 123 innings there for Guerra. So I think he really kind of got going in the independent leagues in, in 2013, it looks like, but either way you slice it, he's not a 31 year old pitcher in terms of arm fatigue and, and miles yeah. on the arm. And then, then you, so you, let's go back to the, the, the team question. So you, if you're the team guy and you're like, well, these guys aren't perfect, but, um, they're, we've got five years with them. Exactly. You know? and if we have five years of them, there's nobody. It's also a question of optics. Like, there's no GM that says, well, he's not, 
he's not going to be around when we're competitive. Well, oh, really? You can't be competitive in five years? Then maybe you're fired. That, that's <laughs> actually a great point. That right? And 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 to the point where I said where you know not, they wouldn't get a haul. Would they really get something that's going to be better? Wouldn't they just be trying to get the next Junior Guerra, some guy kind right, of off right. the radar? So yeah, to that point, why even do that? Just stick with the guy that you already have. Yeah, and in terms of like what's coming for Guerra, I think a lot more strikeouts are coming, and I think he could be maturing because if you look at his walk rates in AAA this year and last year with the White Sox, um, you know, it they're not that crazy. They're not that bad. In fact, some of them are good. Um, you know, he's probably walked basically league average for the last 200 innings that he's that he's uh, pitched. So uh, he, I think his strikeouts will go up and his walks will go up, uh, but I'm not sure his homers are going to go up because with that nice velocity and that split finger, um, I think that uh, we're going to see a guy who pitches a little bit more to like a 3-5 ERA. Yeah, I, I, I like three, it. 3 1.15 uh, and maybe even a strikeout per inning. You, you can actually see that he's been, he's been doing a little better even recently. Um, in his last four starts, he has... 26 strikeouts against uh, six walks. That so, plays for sure. Yeah. And, that, and, and three of those, the, his most, uh, his three most recent outings for Junior Guerra are eight, seven, and seven strikeouts. And he went yeah. seven plus innings in all three of them. So that's 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 a really nice. And against some okay offenses there, you know, he went he was at Oakland, and, and well, he went to PH Washington. There. Yeah, and at Washington. So uh, yeah, I really liked him. I traded for him. In a, in a league, I, I traded uh, a month of Billy Hamilton for the rest of the season of Junior Guerra. So. That's not bad. That's, I think we talked about that one. I, I like that. That's just weird, though. I, I can get, I, well, yeah, because of the, cause of the like, trans, like, it's like the yeah. transfer system, the loan. Uh, you can loan players out. That's interesting. But that's that crazy league that you're in um, with, with, with some sharks, right? Isn't it, isn't it a pretty intense league? Yeah, it is weird. It is really weird. And, it, and I can jump four or five spots in the standings in a given day. So it's exciting. I just don't uh, – I don't I don't understand why there are so many trades. Like there's like three or four trades a day. And I just – I'm like do, you, like, do you think you're so much smarter than the other people in your league that you're gaining little bits with each of these trades? Some people or, just like to trade to trade. Are you just addicted to trade? Yeah, I, I, I think. I'm looking at my team and I'm like – I'm not, and I also like. Do you guys have like tons of surplus? Because it's it's like a twenty team league, right? And the deeper your league is, the less like likely it is that you have surplus, right? So I look at my team, and I had a little bit of power surplus, so I traded uh, Stanton for Lindor and um, Lindor and Price earlier because I really needed a, a, an ace. I like that. Even with Stanton getting back on track, that's that's a good deal. Yeah, and I had Trout in the outfield and Chris Davis, and now I have Kepler, and so I was like, well. You know, I actually do have a surplus of outfit, but I don't have that surplus anymore. You know, and nobody's interested in my Astrubal Cabrera surplus. <laughs> yeah, so, you, I have an extra shortstop. Does anybody need a middling shortstop? Even in a twenty-team league, he's middling. Yeah, nobody's been excited about that one. So I kind of look at my team. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I would be jumping on this trading bandwagon with, but you know. Have a look at my team. <laughs> no, I'm 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 with you in some of these, especially in these deeper leagues. Like you're saying, the, the the rampant trading. I'm just like, are you really getting anything? Are you just shuffling numbers around to kind of be the same place that you were? Yeah, right. 
All right, you know, I really have to pee. I'm not going to make it till the end, so give me one second. <laughs> we should leave that in. All right, you know, next guy up is somebody that uh, we're very familiar with talking about. This is a guy that, that, that we were hyping up last year, but big guy that uh, you're interested in, Anthony Descalfani. Had a pretty good season overall, you know. It, it wasn't some major breakout, but when you look at 185 innings of a 405 ERA with some decent strikeout totals, I think his second half was was better than the first, I believe, or at least there was a sustained period there where Descalfani was was really strong. All in all, I call it I call it a win. You you talk often about how a lot of your recommendations are coming kind of from the scrap heap. You're kind of looking for those guys who are waiver wire guys that you can become useful. And so he qualifies as that. And I don't think you were really deterred by what he did last year in terms of recommending him again this year, except that he started the season with injury. And, and we were led to believe that it was going to be short uh, and, and maybe he'd even come back in, in late April or early May. And obviously that was not the case. He's only made five starts so far this year. But again, the the, the performance has, has, has really kind of been there. He's only had one bad start out of the five at, Oddly enough, it was at Atlanta. I feel like they've done that a good handful of times this year where they've really – obviously, every team's going to win some games, and I, I guess they're going to win games even against uh, worthwhile guys, let alone somebody kind of in the middle middle of the pack like a Desclafani. But it is just always annoying whenever uh, your pitcher gets beaten up by, by an Atlanta or Philly or a San Diego type. Other than that, though, he's been great. He went into Texas and pitched really well. Um, did not let San Diego put the same fade on him as Atlanta did. And then his most recent start in Washington, six and two-thirds, two runs, eight strikeouts. Descalfani, pitching well. How confident are you uh, in him compared to where you were last year when you were recommending him? Well, what I really like is, you know, at the beginning of last year, I was I was recommending him because his changeup had good movement, and he didn't quite trust it yet, which is made me, you know, aware of that idea that not every guy who has, you know, a 3% changeup with good movement is going to trust it enough to, to throw it more. Um, and uh, even though he said he would, and it had good movement, and he was going to start, so he needed that third pitch. But what he did find late last year was a curveball. He went to a knuckle curve, and if you look at movements and velocities on that knuckle curve, they... They changed late last year, and they've stayed the same this year. So I like that. I like the fact that he's found this new, faster uh, knuckle curve with more drop and more sweep, uh, and that he trusts it um, because that's a legit third pitch for him. And in fact, it it does uh, just about as good relative to its peers as um, as his uh, as a slider does, which is and his slider is you know definitely his best pitch. So yeah, no no pitch. doubt. He's a three-pitch guy now, and um, and uh, and this year, you know, he's even doing well on the changeup with that sort of spotting mentality. And he's also, uh, I don't know how he's done this. His sinker has less of a gap velocity-wise with his forcing. You mean uh, he lowered it from last year? The the velocity gap. Yeah, he used to the 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 sinker used to be, you know, like um, like a lot of people's sinkers where it's like one or two miles an hour slower, and this year the four seam and the sinker are the same velocity. So oh wow, is he still getting good movement on the sinker comparatively? Yeah, there's no change really in the on the sinker. So um, I think that maybe uh, they're morphing together or something. But uh, in any case. Um, 
They're, uh, I think he, he's always told me that he's had he has two fastballs. So he's a four-pitch guy. You know, what I don't like, and that's obvious, is the sort of old-school peripherals are not there for him yet. He's, uh, you know, he's got an average swing strike rate right now. The strikeout rate's not great. Uh, the strikeout minus walk rate is average. The ground ball rate is is, is not great. It's below average, really. So, you know, I can understand when people are a little bit worried about him. And I would say that he's a little bit more of a 14-teamer for me. Okay. Uh, just because you'd like to see more whiffs. And they're slowly coming along. I mean, when he first the first game, uh, he had more walks than strikeouts. And in the last game, he had eight strikeouts against two walks. So, and the last two games combined... It's 13 strikeouts against two walks and 14 innings. So yeah, he he walked. Uh, Descalfani walked three in each of his first two outings. He's walked three in 21 and two thirds since. To your point. Yeah, and he was coming back off injuries. So I w- what I would say is definite pickup. Uh, NL only probably already picked up and needs to be owned. Uh, you know, 18 team, 20 team needs to be owned. 14 team needs to be owned and not necessarily started all the time. And then 12 team, he's sort of on the fringe. Uh, you know, a guy, one of those guys that could come in in a nice start against the Padres or the the, the Braves or something, mm-hmm. and be part of your, you know, you know, your bridge to Terabithia, your bridge to uh, to Greinke and, and and Kershaw coming back. So it's really funny that you said that. I think of that anytime somebody says bridge to, because <laughs> they're usually talking about a bridge. Even, to like a... the movie was on the other day, like the, the remake. And I was like, I don't even recognize the, I, like I really have to reread that. To yeah, really I, that's to... like a, a childhood thing. But like any, anytime someone's talking about a bullpen and they're like, Oh, the bridge to Jansen. I'm like, Oh, the bridge to Terabith. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stu- stupid detour there. Sorry. Let's move on to Bud Norris. And I don't really want to talk about Bud Norris because I don't really believe in him, but he has been pitching really well. He's now a Dodger, which definitely improves his 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 win capacity. Uh, he was with the Braves. You know, he's been on a run. He started the season in the rotation and, and pitched the way we, we've been used to seeing Bud Norris pitch, which is to say horribly. They threw him in the bullpen. He was all right. N- nothing terribly special, but then kind of forced back into the rotation in early June. And since then we're talking about six starts with a 178 ERA, 35 and a third innings, 37 strikeouts, nine walks, 23 hits. I mean, it's been really good. I just don't know how much stock to put into it uh, out of somebody like Bud Norris, who has such a track record of, of, of bland uh, to bad work. What, what are we looking at with a 31 year old Bud Norris is the fact that he was traded for. Does that, does that give you any hope that like, okay, maybe something has clicked. Cause I couldn't find any real changes. What are you seeing with Bud Norris now on the Dodgers? Well, there is one change. He now has a cutter. Um, so he's a cutter slider guy now. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a little underwhelming for me. Cutter slider gets me, makes me feel bad about Shane Green again, because I think it is hard. When I talk to Zach Greinke about Shane Green, he's and about having cutters and sliders and maybe having four breaking balls or whatever. Greinke was like, "Yeah, but how many of them are different?" You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a point that you've highlighted when when discussing the cutter, having a cutter and a slider. Is it even worthwhile? Yeah. So. Uh, if he can keep them separate, 
it could be an opportunity to have a weapon against lefties. I mean, John Gray, part of why I like John Gray is that he's actually starting to throw the uh, a cutter against lefties. He was t- I was just talking to him about this on Tuesday. He's trying to throw a cutter against lefties, and, and you know he's able to now manipulate his slider so he has two or three different versions of that slider. It's an Adam Ottavino and Luke Gregerson school. In fact, John Gray told me that Adam Ottavino told him to do that. So, um, you know, the, there is something there that could be good for, for Norris because he should give up on that changeup. The changeup is bad. It's not serving him well. And maybe the cutter and slider can, can be his way out. But when you've got a track record like this at 31, like I think that it's just hard to it's hard to believe, honestly. It it's really is. To, I mean, it's just, the, the six great starts. At, I'll give him the credit yeah, for that. But, but I just out, you know today four innings, four strikeouts, two walks, a home run, three earned runs. It's just pretty blah. Yep. yep. You know that's why that I. I had to give him some run just because he, he's been pitching well, but I cannot even see a scenario where I would add him. I would, I personally wouldn't even add him in NL only because I just, I just don't see it lasting. Adding a eight percent cutter is not enough to to move the needle for me. Right, and when and what did we just um, what did we just say about the about the Dodgers? They got Ryu coming back. They just had McCarthy throw a start. Um, and uh, Urias is still there, so you know, well, actually, they, he was he was sent out right for the for the break. Yeah, but I mean, he's still in the organization. Well, yeah, he's, so. he's still. They've still got some innings with him that they could bring him back up to utilize. There's just too many, and then when Kershaw's back, you've just got too many. You've got too many options to go to Bud Norris anymore. I think he was a, he was like an emergency start kind of guy. They might find some use for him in the pen. I was gonna say, yeah, then they can throw him in the pen, and they didn't. They, I don't even think they gave anything yet. It's it's player to be named later or cash. It's it's just a kind of a free pickup because they needed somebody, and he was pitching well. Yeah, yeah. So all right, let's let's move on from him then, because these yeah. these last three guys are worth talking about, and and we are getting a little bit lengthy here. But it's we were off for a little while with the holidays, so let's let's uh, let's jump in on these three last three guys here. Matt Moore, man. I'll tell you what, I've really got to get baseball reference to change his nickname to The Rake um, because the dude tricks me all the time. (laughs) And he's looking good again, and here I am out doing yard work, forgetting where I put that rake. I'm about to step on it, Eno. Should I do it? Because He's that same elevated home run guy. I mean, he's really, his his walk rate's the best of his career, but, you know, 1.5 home runs per nine, Last year, we would have thought, you know, scream to the high heavens, this guy's a pickup. Everyone's got to go get him. Yeah. But uh, look at his games. One home run, one home run, zero, one, one, two, zero, two, one, one, two, two, zero, one, 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 zero. So there's some zeros in there, and there's, if you blink real hard, you can convince yourself fewer zeros, I mean, more zeros in the past, you know, five, six games. But it's, uh, the potential there for a two home run, six run, you know, ruin your week's ERA, ruin your your year's ERA <laughs> is still in there. I don't know what to say. It's like uh, I, I'm trying. I'm still researching this stuff about why the home run rate is up. I, I feel like it's not. I've looked. Uh, it, it doesn't look like it is that pitchers are throwing harder. I can say what things it is not yet. Okay. Uh, pitchers are not throwing closer to their max velocity necessarily. The difference between max 
and uh, median velocity in the league is not uh, much is not changed really. Just the max has gone up, uh, and the median has gone up. So there's not it's not that they're everyone's pitching at their very at their max basically. Uh, the other thing I tested was whether or not heart percentage has gone up. Yeah, I was going to say, has the zone changed at all? No. Okay. So those two things, the heart percentage hasn't changed. Now, what I need to look now is if the strike zone has changed again. Yeah, uh, that, that, that data is still coming to me. If where home runs are being hit has changed, and if that's true, why? Uh, one thing I want to look at is if hitters are getting better at swinging at the type of pitches that turn into home runs. Um, and then I'm going to look at exit velocity, and if that's up, maybe we're just selecting better for exit velocity because we know the teams have had you know, four or five years now with exit velocity. They've had the ability to select for these guys, and that's how Stephen uh, <clears throat> Souza. Souza, yeah. Okay, Stephen Souza, uh, Jr. Stephen Souza, Jr. Um, uh, who else? Um uh, I know that he was an exit velocity guy. Uh, I bet you Adam Duvall was. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. And Randall Gritchick was last year. I mean, Randall he has been this year, too, but he just hasn't been as good. Did Wilson yeah. Ramos just hit another homer? Or is that some, I think that might be Lobatone. Okay, it is Lobatone. Anyway, um, so yeah, he, he, the home runs are terrifying with Matt Moore and a lot of pitchers, really. That, that's been, we talked about it a little bit on the last episode about how they're way, way up. And so I'll be interested to see once you're done with your research what you kind of come up with because they've just been a nightmare. And I know when you look at his numbers, you might think that the home runs are only up league-wide because of Chris Young, but um, <laughs> it's not just him. Yeah. Unbelievable how bad his home run rate is. I think he's giving up four per nine after his last outing. Let me pull it up. Yeah, 3.9 in Jeez. 60 innings. That's unbelievable. Like, that is yeah. so bad. Uh, two more guys here. One actually on Junior Guerra's team. We maybe should have lumped them together, but I was going in order of uh, roster rate at Yahoo. And Zach Davies is only 30% uh, on 30% of rosters. So he's he's pretty widely available. He came over, I believe. Was he from Houston or Baltimore? I mix him and Josh Hader up often. One's from Baltimore, uh, one's from Houston. Yeah, Baltimore. Okay. So Zach Davies, interesting 23-year-old right-hander. Even even probably further under the radar than than Junior Guerra because well probably because Guerra has a, a sub three ERA right now and and Zach Davies is uh, season long is is still a four ten but recently um, he's been pitching pretty well however home runs are an issue with him you're looking at a one point three homer per nine rate so he's got kind of that that balancing factor where okay since the start of June we do have a two eighty six ERA in forty four innings. But, you know, his his one really bad outing during that time was against the Dodgers where they ripped him for three homers. He has a couple other multi-homer games before June started that had his ERA up at 540 coming into the month of June. So we've seen a nice seven-start run here. How much of it is legitimate, and where do you currently stand with Zach Davies? He has, you know, some of the things that Kyle Hendricks has, which is an elite change-up. Um, low fastball velocity, you know, pitches down in the zone. So those those things are there. And so it's not surprising maybe that in the last month and a half, the leaderboard for exit velocity goes Johnny Cueto, Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies, CeCe 
Scott Casimir, Drew Pomerantz, Corey Kluber, Jared, Jared Eikhoff, Kent Tomato. So that's your uh, that's that's the best ten at uh, and John Lamb there at the end. But that's the best guys for limiting uh, exit velocity. You know, John Lamb's inclusion should uh, should ring some alarm bells and tell you that it's not a surefire metric yeah. to say that it's going to generate success. Yeah, and I don't think from watching Davies and watching Hendricks that I get the same sense that Davies has the same amount of command. I, I would agree with that. I feel like really Hendricks is in more to, control of what's going on. Yeah, you really need to because if that if that pitches an 88 mile an hour cookie down the middle, um, you know it doesn't uh, doesn't take the the biggest slugger to hit that out. That means home run issues. Um, you know, it's not it's not a package that's going to get you a ton of strikeouts. So, you know, I, I might bet, given this exit velocity stuff, I might bet on the on the nice side of the projections. But that would probably get me to where he's been. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'd probably get give him a four ERA and a one two five WHIP uh, going forward, uh, which is a little bit better than what he's done. Um, but uh, and also better than the projections, but not uh, super exciting. So I, I'd, uh, I, you know, he might be an under the radar sort of NL only acquire where you say, you know, I think he's going to be a little better than this. At least he's going to keep his rotation spot and uh, be useful to me and not hurt me. That that could be uh, what he does. Okay. So Zach Davies, not going crazy on it. The the stuff is definitely not overwhelming uh, in terms of uh, velocity. Does have four pitches at least, so he can kind of keep guys off balance, but also does have a home run issue. He's running hot right now, but probably over the rest of the year, it might not be as stark where he has a month and a half of 540 ERA and then a month plus of a 286. It might just be more up and down, two good starts here, one bad one here. Uh, that sort of thing with Zach Davies, getting him to a four-something ERA the rest of the way. So useful in some deeper leagues, but let's not go crazy. I, I agree with you on that point. Uh, last guy, Kevin Gausman, which interestingly enough means that he's the lowest uh, owned among these guys, 29%. And so, you know, we talk about name value playing a role sometimes. I think that some of the shine has worn off on Kevin Gaussman, and I completely understand it. You know, I, I've been a big Kevin Gaussman backer in the past, and I still like the long-term outlook, but right now I'm just just not that, that enamored with what he's doing. Um, and look, it's home runs again with him. And this started even before this year when home runs are way up across the league. He was at 1.4 homers per nine last year, 1.5 this year. 0.6 in 2014, but then 1.5 in 2013. So which of those four is the outlier? It's, the, it's clearly the 0.6. Home runs have been a problem with Kevin Gaussman, and I just I have a hard time trusting him right now. Where, where do you stand on the 25-year-old righty from the, uh, the Orioles? Yeah, he's not very good at limiting uh, exit velocity. He's on the wrong side, along with Matt Moore, which makes sense because there's a lot of uh, home run issues on his side of the of the ballot, um, you've got uh, Danny Salazar, Jason Hamill, Justin Nicolino, Matt Andres, Eddie Butler, Adam Morgan, Jordano Ventura, and Mike Fires at the bottom of that list. So uh, Gaussman's uh, probably in the bottom quarter when it comes to exit velocity, and I could see why. I mean, he throws it really hard in there, and despite having low walk totals, I don't think that he's necessarily a guy that's shown uh, to have great command. So, um, 
you know, and that curveball, uh, let's see. Last time we talked, the curveball had not given up a home run yet. And since then? And since then, the answer is it has given up a home run. Let's see how many it's given up. I can't do 0.29% in my head. 0.029 times. That's probably just one. Ten. Wait. That's no, no. At point, one. Point, point, oh, oh, two, yeah, point, oh. yeah, that's got to. That's got to be just one homer. Times three hundred forty-five. He's gonna have ten. Ten homers oh. off the curveball. That's what it looks like. That's crazy because he's only given up fourteen. So the the, the curveball is really. No, crazy. not this year alone. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's still better. It's still better than all of his other pitches. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, home runs are just something that Kevin Gausman gives up. And so if he's having a day where he's allowing a couple hits or, or the walks aren't there, like you said, he doesn't give up a lot of walks. But I think those two are related. Like you said, it's not great command. It's more this is one of those distinctions between control and command. He can control the ball and put it in the zone, but they aren't quality strikes. And so they end up going over the fence. And I don't know what what do you think is the solution here? Do you have any ideas on what what could be uh, a solution for Kevin Gaussman? I mean, already today, four and a third out in L.A. Justin Turner has a home run off of him, two runs in those four and a third, six hits, no walks, four strikeouts. So, you know, if he can complete a couple more innings, this can wind up being a, a, a solid start. But. I, you know, I also wouldn't be surprised if he gives up two more homers and he's out with uh, with five runs in five innings. That that I just I just don't have confidence in him to go out there and and flex the muscles that his stuff on paper would suggest for Gaussman. Yeah, I've been a big advocate for him to throw a cutter, and he hasn't. He's not going to do that. Don't in they disallow those? Yeah, I don't think he's going to do that in Baltimore. So how's I think, that working uh, out for them? limiting (laughs) they're so good at pitchers development oh man they just keep cranking them out don't they (laughs) yeah for other teams (laughs) here here you go uh because like we just said zach davies a a guy who's who's been pitching well and uh he's on another team i mean davies might have gotten lit the f up in the in the oh he he would get he would get so smashed that that one that was more tongue-in-cheek that one really shouldn't count against them but obviously the one that everyone remembers is arietta um Honestly, though, I, I think he can do what he's doing. I mean, I think he can do what he's doing, like a 3-8-3-9 ERA, 1-2-5 whip, mm-hmm. eight strikeouts per nine. I think he can do all that. But is there going to be more? Because I feel like the stuff suggests more. The yeah, raw well, stuff, I mean, the great velocity, uh, the great... Now where he's 25 years old with 325 innings, and he's pretty much been this guy where it's like near four ERA with good strikeout numbers and home run problems. In a weak whip. I, I think it's really going to be uh, – no, a good whip. Uh, I guess that's – I weird. don't know. 128 does not yeah. Yeah, tickle not me right. much. Let me look here. The, the cutter the cutter is usually used against lefties, uh, and his problem so far has been righties. Yeah, he does but, have reverse platoons. But the uh, – for me, it's not so much that, I, that he needs the cutter against lefties. I think he needs a breaking ball. And he can't figure out the slider, obviously, because he throws it 80 miles an hour. And, you know, I talked to Sean Manea, and he said most people want their breaking ball to have more movement and, you know, are fine with the velocity. 
I need more velocity on my breaking ball. I'm fine with the movement. I feel like we're yeah we're we're, we're seeing that there are some guys that have the movement, but if they could get a couple takes of velocity on a breaking ball, that would take it to the next level. Yeah, because right now he's 95 miles an hour, and then everything else is 80, 84. Mm-hmm. So you could sit in one of those velocity bands, but if he had a cutter, that would go like 90. Exactly. Give him something in that 88 to 91 range, yeah. another velocity band. Yeah, I think that would be huge. And it's going to take, it's probably going to take him going to another another team it it really is i i think it is too he's gonna rock in the national league oh he would kill he would kill in the national league i would if i could trade for kevin gossman if i was the braves right now and could trade for kevin gossman what about um i don't know if this is like a a a hair run for gossman plus well, I was, I, I was going to say get him out in San Diego there because maybe they want to move off of uh, Pomeranz right now because he, he's, he's a couple years older and um, has had some injury history himself. So maybe they work something where they're getting, where they're getting uh, Pomeranz and a, and a bullpen piece. You know, get, get, a, get multiple pitchers for Gaussman and, and some, and some back-end prospect stuff. I don't know if that necessarily is, is – that great of a deal, but they'd be getting the better pitcher right now, Drew Pomeranz, who, who could really help them. So I agree with you, though. Kevin Gaussman in the National League, that intrigues me. It'll probably happen at some point because if he just ends up kind of meandering toward, like you said, the upper threes, low fours ERA this year with a, a passable whip. It's not, I don't mean to suggest that it's terrible, but it's it's not fantasy great. And then a, a decent strikeout rate. It might be time where they say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and move on from him. Even though we need pitching, we'll try to get a little bit more established pitching from a team that wants to uh, you know, work with the younger guy and, and probably seize the great upside in him. Because you know there's GMs out there with, that would be licking their chops to get Gaussman yeah. knowing that he's going to be better. Because they need pitching. So what, they're going to trade pitching because they need pitching? I don't, I don't that, that, that's, that, yeah, that's why I said it, it's, kind of, it's kind of a tough deal. Um, They'd have to get multiple. You'd probably have to find a team that has multiple guys that they can give. I don't know if you would want Pomeranz like and Cashner. Arza deal, maybe. Yeah, something like that. But they gave Addison Russell for that, so I don't think they have yeah. Addison Russell uh, on their team to give necessarily. So uh, of these guys that we've named, I'm gonna throw Bud Norris off the board because neither of us are interested in him. But we got Junior Guerra. Anthony Descafani, Matt Moore, Zach Davis, Kevin Gossman. Why don't you rank those five in, in order of how much you would want them? Let's call it – let's kind of meet in the middle here. Let's say 12-team uh, mixed league. Yeah, in a 12-team mixed league, I'm, I'm owning – I own Guerra in a, an 11-teamer. Mm-hmm. So he's my guy. Um, and then Descafani is the only other one that I'd want to really own. Okay. I think that's fair. I really think that I think the other guys have to be streamed. All three of those other guys, Matt Moore, Zach Davies, Kevin Gossman, have those severe home run issues in an environment that is so home run laden right now that it is really difficult to trust them. So I completely get that. Uh, Moore's been doing this despite pitching in a decent park for home runs. Who who who's that? Moore. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But that AL beast, man, um, it, it it is still scary. You know, it's not it it's not that. Uh, the Yankees are quite – it used to be you know, Red Sox, Yankees, you don't want to mess with them. Basically, the Jays have replaced the Yankees from when it became the yeah. AL, AL Beast. And then you don't want to mess with the Orioles at all, especially in Camden. So it's 
it, it's a tough situation. I, I don't really like having any guys in that division. And two of those other three, Gaussman and Moore, are from that division. So I understand why you would lean away from them. Um, anybody else that you'd w- want to talk about? I, uh, maybe get a snap thought on Daniel Mangdon now that he has a few starts. You recommended he gave a nice review um, after maybe just one start, I think it was, that we talked about him. Are you still uh, in- intrigued by him? Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, there's a little bit of risk there, I think, with the walk rate and the crazy mechanics. Um, the mustache makes up for it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I learned a lot more about him since because I, I interviewed him. Um, and uh, I'd probably put him ahead of Discofani, I think. Um, some of his numbers going back are going to be uh, not very useful, especially with the Astros. He did not pitch the Astros took away that delivery and they made him pitch oh, convention. Okay. And uh and then Mengden explained that in uh, he had like a, a back problem and he couldn't lift and he finally started lifting before the twenty sixteen season and that's where the extra velocity has come from. You know, it's funny to see ninety one eight uh, on our boards uh, because in the in spring he was hitting 98, um, so there's been some uh, decline there. Um, maybe it's just one game though, because the rest of the time he's sitting 92, 93, um, and it might be you know the, the the systems are still trying to figure out all his pitches. But from what I when I watch him, I see 92, 93. I see a really nice changeup that has a lot of movement, especially for an over the top guy. I see an over-the-top delivery that's going to be hard for people to pick up. Um, and uh, I see a nice curveball, too. So that's three pieces that you need. The cutter is just good enough. And, um, you know, as long as this command thing isn't an issue because of his mechanics, then because, you know, he, he started out with, you know, four walks, and then he's the last game he had four walks. But in between, he's been amazing. So Don't forget the money. I would just watch the walks a little bit. And uh, and uh, I'd own him. I'd own him. Daniel Mangdon, Oakland, protected by by the park. That definitely helps. Intriguing mechanics, good stuff. Killer mustache. Just wanted to throw him in there real quick. Didn't have him on the list, but I knew we had, had spoken well. I didn't really know anything about him. So when you first mentioned him, it, he's he's been, stayed on my radar. I've kind of continued to watch, and I've and I've enjoyed. I've liked. I'm like when I've, I like what I'm seeing from him. And Oakland. You know, I feel like they do this sometimes. They bring, they or not sometimes. I pretty regularly they have these guys. Obviously, the park is is really helpful there. But it's not just the park. It's not like you can stick anybody in that park and boom, they're they're a useful pitcher. You know, Kendall Graveman has not been able to really, you know, kind of click maybe on a level that I think you I think you are um, on board as saying that his stuff is actually better and it should be better with his results. Or do I have that wrong about Graveman? He's definitely ticked up in terms of the, the stuff that has gotten better this year, but he hasn't harnessed it. And yeah. he, I don't think that he can really command that new stuff yet. And, no, you know, I think we're seeing some signs of him being better recently, but he's not going to show up on anybody's K minus BB list. He's going to be a guy that does it with ground balls, which means that it's not going to be super fantasy friendly, I don't think. Yeah, you, 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 and, and like you said, the, the, Going through stats, you're really not going to see Kendall Graveman pop up. That's going to be a guy you have to watch, and then you'll see, wow, he's actually better than these numbers, but he, he isn't consistent enough to uh, to be a, f- a huge fantasy asset. He's probably kind of an AL-only filler right now. I just want to bring him up. Just pointing out that 
again, Oakland alone, the park alone doesn't make you good. And that's why I think Mengden isn't just a product of that park. He's actually pretty decent. All right, you know, let's wrap it up there. I think about an hour and a half. Uh, hopefully people enjoy that. We are going to do our futures game preview on Friday, which will be the return of, of Rocky's Corner, which was <laughs> very popular. It's probably our most popular thing that we've <laughs> ever done. And That's the singing. Well, I think that's what it was, but I'm in talks with uh, with you and, and David Appleman to make Rocky's Corner its own podcast, and it would take over for Carson's stupid 20 podcast. minutes of us singing. Yes. We would just sing. We would actually just sing the song repeatedly, and after we do 20 minutes of that, we would do one minute of just naming players. We wouldn't even say, We'd just be like, John Gray, Tyler Anderson, and then it would end, and it would take over Carson's podcast. So look for that after the All-Star break. That's probably going to happen, but on Friday, we will be talking Futures game. So if you have anybody specifically that you really want us to hone in on, please let us know. We can't talk about everybody, but we got a handful of guys that we're going to want to talk about, and we'll take a handful of y'alls. So if you want to go look at those rosters, uh, we're going to do Futures game on Friday. Eno? Have a good one. Hopefully get that finger right. Yeah, for those of you that have been following, his finger is still messed up. We're trying to get him to go to the doctor, but he says it's all right. He's being a typical stubborn man. Uh, if I can if I can say that, you, you need to get your finger fixed. You have children. If you're going to die because you're a gangrene finger. <laughs> it's just a little tight and a little big, but okay. it's... I think it's better. It doesn't hurt much. Good. Good to hear. But we got to get you back on the basketball court sooner or later. That's why that finger really needs to get better. But you and I will talk more in two days. Until then, Eno, take care. Thanks for listening.